Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches Podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Yukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message. place to go on vacation, a place that you can relax and you can get refreshed. For Tiff and I, it's San Diego. We love going to San Diego. And a couple of weekends ago, we actually escaped for the first time in three years without our kids to go down to San Diego to vacation for a couple of days. And we love downtown San Diego because of a four block area called Little Italy. And Little Italy is a great place to hang out. My wife is Italian and her family's very Italian. And so when we go to Little Italy, it's as if we're in the real Italy because it has great food and great dessert and great coffee. And my wife just knows how to pick the right places. And so I submitted to her leadership when we were in downtown San Diego in Little Italy. Found a place for dinner where she ordered for us and we got short rib pasta and prosciutto pizza. And yes, it was as good as it sounds. It's the type of food that even though you're really hungry, you still go back for one more bite or one more slice. And so we finished and we were incredibly full and we did want to get some gelato later on. And so we knew that we would have to walk around, walk off our gluttony ways before we could get gelato. So we walked around Little Italy for about an hour and took in the sights and sounds. And then I looked at my wife and I said, I think I'm ready for dessert. And she said, great. And there were three gelato places in Little Italy. Two of them were new, one of them we've been to before. And so Tiff wanted to check out the two new gelato places. So we walked into the first one, we looked around a bit, and then she gave me the head bob like, hey, let's go. So we stepped out and we went to the second one and the same thing happened. We walked in, we looked around, she gave me the head bob and said, hey, let's go. And so we got outside and I asked her, what was wrong with those two places? Why are we heading to the place we've already been to? And what happened next opened my eyes to the convictions that my wife holds. <laughs> she stopped, I think in the middle of the road. She pulled down her mask and she said to me, Honey, real gelato should never come out of a soft serve machine. Real gelato should be hand scooped, put in a cup, and you should eat it with a small spoon so that you can savor every bite. Are you coming with me? And I said, yes, honey. And so we went to our gelato spot, the one we've been to before, and we had real gelato. And I realized that my wife has real conviction about her Italian food. Now you might be wondering, Mike, what does this story have to do with Sunday here at church, especially Palm Sunday? And I'm glad you asked. Because Palm Sunday is actually the culmination of a search for something real. And it's better than real gelato. Palm Sunday is the culmination of a search for the real Messiah. See, the men and women in Jewish history had been told for generations that the Messiah was coming, the Redeemer, the Renewer, the Restorer, the Savior was coming. Their scriptures taught that. And so they had been looking for the Messiah 
for years. And there were men that would rise up every once in a while and they would have a huge following, but eventually whatever empire was in charge would dominate them. It would kill the leader and jail those who followed him. This is why, by the way, the disciples were in a locked room after Jesus was crucified because they thought that their future was going to be like those that were in the past. They thought they were going to lose their lives. See, they had this belief that a real Messiah was going to come. And there were generations that passed, but they kept searching for the real Messiah. And then they found Jesus, God in the flesh, the real Messiah. And so Palm Sunday is a culmination of that search. Palm Sunday was the day that they were convinced that Jesus is actually who he says that he is based upon what they saw. And he came riding into town on a donkey, just like the scriptures would, had, had told them. He came riding into town and they knew that Jesus was about to change the region. But what they didn't anticipate was that Jesus was going to change the world. John was there, one of the first followers of Jesus who wrote five of the letters that we have in the scriptures. And he wrote down what he saw. Jesus coming in and these men and women lining the streets of Jerusalem leading up to the temple and they laid down these palm branches. That's why it's called Palm Sunday, by the way. Somebody watching this just went, oh, I didn't know that. They laid down these palm branches and then they shouted out some pretty remarkable things. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, which was the announcement, God save us. It was an exclamation of praise. They were recognizing who Jesus is. They shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They shouted, blessed is the king of Israel. They had a conviction that perhaps he was Messiah, the real Messiah. And Palm Sunday is the culmination of that search. And that's why they celebrated. But for you and for me, we can actually miss the depth of this day. We can actually miss the extraordinary announcement that this day made for those men and women. And so what I want to do today is I don't want us to miss it. I don't want us to just see it as the start of Holy Week, but I want us to understand what they understood. I want us to see what they saw, read what they read, and to know what they know, and really to feel and experience what they felt and experienced. And so in order to move forward today, I want to take you backwards. I want to take you to a document in the Bible called Leviticus. And so if you have a Bible with you or the Bible app on a phone or a smart device, would you turn to Leviticus chapter 16? And if you're watching this in the room or online, the verses will be on the screen for you. As you're turning there, I want to set the scene for you because this is a remarkable moment that was recorded long before Palm Sunday. But this is why those men and women celebrated. This is why they cheered and announced what they announced. This is why they said, Hosanna. Leviticus 16 actually introduces us to what's called the Day of Atonement, the Day of Forgiveness, or the Day of Covering Over Sins. And it was 10 days after Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah was the New Year. And on the new year, they would blow a trumpet and then the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement would be called the 10 Days of Awe, where men and women would do some soul searching. And they would ask the question, how have I dishonored God in the way that I have 
used my words and the way that I've behaved and mainly in the way that I've treated other people. And it would be their opportunity to acknowledge what it was that they had done because in 10 days, the day of atonement, in 10 days, they were to confess that. They were to bring that to the high priest and that 10th day was called Yom Kippur. And that's where we pick up this story in Leviticus chapter 16, starting in verse two. The writer Moses tells us this, that the Lord spoke to Moses and said, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I, God, appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So initially what we learn from this writer, Moses, is that God is giving very specific instructions for the day of atonement. And the first instruction is to Aaron, Moses' brother. He's the high priest. He's the pastor of the time. And God is giving him specific instructions to do certain things because God is helping the people to draw close and to find forgiveness and freedom. And so we read in verse 3 that God then says to Moses, This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic. I know you have one at home. The linen undergarments. God was concerned about the underwear. And he is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. In verse 5, he says, From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And because Aaron was a human, even though he had the privilege of being a pastor and a priest, because he was a human, he had sin as well. And so he had to enter in first and take care of what he's done to violate God and God's people. And so we read in verse 6 that Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. It was interesting on this day and the days leading up to this day, the steps that the Jewish people would take to make sure that the high priest was prepared for this, because this is a remarkable day. This is a significant day because the high priest is representing the people to God. He is to go petition God on your behalf for forgiveness and for freedom. And so the days leading up to the day of atonement, the priest would have people around him making sure that he was behaving himself, making sure that he was making wise decisions and using really helpful and not harmful words. If he was married, they would even keep the wife away just in case she died. <laughs> because in that culture, if someone died in your presence, you would have the stain of death on you and you could not enter into the holiness and the holy presence of God on the day that you were supposed to. So they had a lot of tradition and a lot of things that they wanted to make sure happen, even down to what the high priest was supposed to wear. There's this document in the Bible called Exodus. And in Exodus, it actually gives great direction as to the fashion of the high priest from God to Moses to the people. We're told that the high priest was to wear certain colors, the color blue, the color purple, and the color scarlet, which is a red. That red would represent the blood that would be shed for the forgiveness of sins. The purple would represent royalty because you're entering into the king's room, the king of the universe, God himself. And then blue would represent the cosmos, that God is the creator of all things. The high priest would have these shoulder pads on his shoulders and they would stand out. 
Think 1980s shoulder pads that your mom or your grandma or maybe some of you watching used to wear, right? You had the high hair with a hairspray and the shoulder pads. And on those shoulder pads were two stones. And etched in the stones were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the, the high priest would enter into the presence of God, carrying the people of God on his shoulders. He would wear a breastplate that had rubies and emeralds in it, and it represented how God saw his people as precious. And then he had a robe with gold bells on the robe. And here's why. Not for fashion, but for safety. Because, as we already read, a sinful person entering into the holy presence of God can be intimidating and overwhelming and could actually take their life. And so the people would be on the outside of this holy room, the holy of holies, and if they heard the bells ringing, they knew that the priest was still alive. But if the bells were not ringing, they knew that he was dead. Like that seems so crazy to us in our culture today. But in that culture, they took all of these precautions because they were about to come face to face with God, to be in the presence of God. And just a cultural note, and then we'll get back into the story. Rome, when they were in charge, Rome would keep these vestments, these clothing that the, the high priest would wear in their buildings. And they did it on purpose because they wanted the people of Israel to actually ask for permission to get those clothes because they wanted them to know, yeah, you can worship whoever you want, but we're still in charge and we're more powerful. There's a couple of great men that wrote about these moments. There's a couple of really fascinating letters that helped un uh, us understand what was happening on that day. One of those letters was from a man named Aristes. And he writes that on this day, when he saw the high priest do what he did, he, write, he writes this. It was an occasion of great amazement to us and to everyone when Eleazar, he was a high priest after Aaron, when Eleazar engaged in this ministry and all of the glorious vestments, the outfit of the priest, including the wearing of the garment with precious stones upon it, the priest's appearance makes one awestruck and dumbfounded. A man would think that he had come out of this world and into another. I emphatically assert that every man who comes near the spectacle of what I have described will experience atonement, forgiveness, and amazement beyond words. His very being transformed by the hallowed arrangement on every single detail. This man was amazed at what God had set up, was amazed at how God would draw near. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, writes about this moment. He says that if one reflects on the construction of the tabernacle, which is the temple, and the looks of the vestments of the priests and the vessels which we use for the sacred ministry, he will discover that every one of those objects is intended to recall and represent the universe, was intended to help us understand that God is bigger than anything we could even comprehend, that he is the creator of all things. Like the veil between heaven and earth on the Day of Atonement was so thin, like there was no difference between where we are and where God is, because God was with us. And that's what these people got to experience. And here's the thing about God, nothing's changed. God is still a God who wants to draw near and be present and be next to you. God is a God who wants to forgive you and set you free. And that's what this document of Leviticus is talking about. This is what those Jewish men and women on Palm Sunday would be remembering and reflecting on. Verse 7 says that the high priest is to take two goats and present them before the Lord. He's to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord 
and the other as a scapegoat. I'll explain that in a minute. The, they are to bring the goats, both of them to the Lord, and then the one that actually falls to the Lord is to be sacrificed for sin. In verse 10, it says, the goat chosen as a lot is for a scapegoat shall be presented alive and shall make atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. The phrase scapegoat actually comes from this story because God is inviting the people to seek forgiveness for what they've done and freedom so they don't have to live like that anymore. And so he invites the high priest to bring two goats, one that actually gets sacrificed. Blood is actually shed because sin always leads to death and maybe sometimes not physical death. Like maybe sometimes it's a death in a relationship or a friendship or it's a death of joy or compassion because bitterness and hate and rage is taken over your heart. It's a death of love. Sin always leads to brokenness and death and separation. And God is bringing people to him. He's bringing them together in relationship and then bringing them towards him in relationship. One goat was for the forgiveness of sin, and one was for the removal of sin. Goat in the Hebrew language actually is the name Azazel. Azazel. I love saying that. Say it at home. Azazel. And the Azazel that was to be on the altar would forgive people of their sin, or at least represent that. And then there was going to be a goat that was taken away. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here's the thing that I don't want you to miss. This was not an individualistic group of people. This was a communal group of people. Like they saw forgiveness of sin, not just about their sin. They saw forgiveness of sin about everyone's sin. So even if they didn't violate one another in their words or in their behavior, they would still seek forgiveness because we did. Like they wouldn't ask the question, God, what have I done? And stop there. They would have asked the question, God, what have I done? And what have we done? And in this moment, they sought forgiveness of the community. And that's where the first sacrifice would come from. The second sacrifice actually wasn't a sacrifice. It was the scapegoat. The writer tells us in verse 21 that the high priest is to lay his hands on the head of that goat and confess all of their sins. And he shall send that goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed to the task. So this was to represent what God does with sin. Like he removes it from you, far, far from you. And then there's a specific note that Moses wants us to see. That there is a man that's appointed to take this goat out into the desert. And it wasn't a Jewish man, it was a Gentile man. Remember that, because that's important for later. But he would take it out of the temple, out of the tabernacle. And as he would take it out, the people would shout, take it away, take it away, take it away. Or they would shout the name of the goat. They would say, Azazel, 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 because they recognized that forgiveness was being brought to them as their sin was being removed from them because God is present with them. That God has the goat represent how he removes and carries away your sin and mine. Which causes me to want to pause for a moment because I have a really good question for you. And I want you to consider this. Here's the question. What are you carrying around that God didn't create you to carry around? What are you carrying around that God didn't create you to carry around? This moment, they got to see a goat walk away and represent 
God removing their sin. They got to see a goat die and blood shed to help them understand the consequences of sin. What are you carrying around that God didn't create you to carry around? What is in you that actually is killing you? What is in you that actually needs to be carried away from you? Isn't it fascinating how often we hang on to things that we should never hang on to? And we allow things to happen in our hearts and in our minds that live there rent-free. And we allow them to stay, the bitterness, the rage, the anger, the unforgiveness, the hurt, the pain, the past, the regret, the embarrassment, the shame. What are you carrying around that you don't need to carry around? That's the question that they would ask themselves when they would see this moment take place because the day of atonement is about asking intense questions of your heart and your soul. What's in there? Because that helps you understand what's coming out of there and what you're doing with your words and with your actions. It was at this moment that God wanted the people to evaluate what they were doing and how close they wanted to be to God because that was their choice because God has chosen to be close to them. Now, Here's where it gets good, because it's Palm Sunday. We're talking about Palm Sunday, and we wanted to go backwards so that we can go forward. Here's where it gets good, because Palm Sunday actually leads to Good Friday. And Good Friday was the day where Jesus was arrested and put on trial. And Pilate was in charge of all of that. And there's a moment where Pilate doesn't want to crucify Jesus. And so he gives the crowd the opportunity to make the decision about what they're going to do with Jesus. And something happens in that moment that actually would cause us to go back to this moment in Leviticus 16. The crowd actually shouts something to Jesus. And I want to ask you, do you know what they shouted? Some of you might actually have said out loud, like, I think they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And you're right, but that actually wasn't the first thing that they shouted. John actually records that the first thing they shouted was this, John chapter 19, verse 15. But the crowd shouted, listen to the words, take him away, take him away, take him away. If you were there with your phone recording it, if you were there listening to it, you know what it would have sounded like? Here's what it would have sounded like. Azazel, Azazel, Azazel. Sound familiar? Does it take you back to what we just read? Here's why this is so significant and here's why it's so important. Because Jesus is our Azazel. Jesus is the one that forgives us of our sin and then sets us free of our sin. He was the one that carried our sin away from us because we weren't created to carry it ourselves. By the way, you know who led Jesus outside of the city? A Roman soldier, a Gentile. And anybody who was a good Jewish man or woman who paid attention to the scriptures would immediately have their eyes and ears opened in that moment and would have reflected back on Leviticus 16 and went, wait, something's happening here. Friend, this is why on the first Palm Sunday, they shouted Hosanna. This is why on the first Palm Sunday, they announced that 
The King of Israel is here. This is why on that first Palm Sunday, they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. John was there. John wrote it down. This is why they cheered and they celebrated. And yes, their perspective was limited. They thought Jesus would change the region. But what he really did was change everyone, everywhere. He changed the world because he is for everyone, everywhere. Freedom and forgiveness is offered to everyone, everywhere. And these people on that first Palm Sunday began to have their eyes and their hearts and their souls open to that. This is why they gathered. This is why they got together. I can imagine that they were talking to themselves going, can you believe it? We've been looking for real Messiah for generations, and there he is. Get me a palm branch, and I'm going to shout out Hosanna, because the God of the universe has come. And again, they didn't have full understanding of what was happening on that day, but they began to reflect back to what they'd been through every day of atonement, and they realized that redemption is here, rescue is here, and their Savior has come. And He has come to forgive them and to set them free. And He has come to forgive you and to set you free. So how about this question? Is there anything that you need to place on the scapegoat? Is there anything that you need to place on Jesus? Because he has the one, he is the one that has come to forgive you. And only Jesus can forgive you. Only Jesus can wash your sins away. Only Jesus can take care of the thing that you can't take care of. So is there anything that you need to lay on the scapegoat, Jesus? Because he is our Azazel. And when you do that, he carries your sin away. Because Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you don't have to live like this anymore. You can live with an awareness that I have come to be with you, to set you free and to cause you to live in freedom, to live in repentance to not do this anymore, but to do that. This is why they cheered on that first Palm Sunday, and this is why you can cheer today on this Palm Sunday. In fact, because Jesus has come, if there is ever a moment that somebody shows up in your life after you know that you've been forgiven and set free and you're living in repentance, if there's anybody that ever comes into your life and tries to bring up your past, tries to bring up your shame, tries to bring up your embarrassment, tries to bring up your sin, I got a great response for you. You should look around the room and then look at them and say to them, listen, the goat has left the building. I don't see any goats around here because my sin has been forgiven and has been carried away. That's what Jesus has done. And he continues to do that for men and women like you and me every single day. And that's why this Palm Sunday is a celebratory day. That's why this Palm Sunday is a day where they shouted Hosanna. 
And friends, that's why people get baptized today. It's that expression of laying down the palm branch, shouting Hosanna and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe that's why you should get baptized. Because you have been forgiven and set free. And now it's time to get that announcement out of you and into the world around you. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday and I want to invite you to come and get baptized. And you can do that and get started by texting baptism to the number that you see on the screen. Come and lay down your palm branch. Come and announce that you have been forgiven and set free. Come and live in repentance because Jesus is for you and not against you. One more thing. The writer of Hebrews is one of my favorite writers in all of the scriptures. And this writer actually talks about what happened in Leviticus 16 and on that Palm Sunday and Good Friday in just two sentences. He describes that moment in a very simple moment, but yet it's powerful. And I want you to hear what this writer said. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, he said, Day after day, every priest stands, pay attention to that, stands and performs his religious duties. Because the high priest, whether it's Aaron or Eleazar in that time, they would have to stand and, and, and do their work. And here's the thing. Even when they finished their work, their work was not finished because the day of atonement would come one year later. Because there would be sins that people would need to confess and seek forgiveness and freedom for and from. And so they never got to actually sit down until Jesus came. And the writer says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, listen to these words, he sat down at the right hand of God because the work is finished. It is over. Never again do you have to question where you stand with God because God let you know where he stood with you and he stood right next to you and offered forgiveness to you and offered freedom for you and then invites you to live in repentance. Friends, this is why Palm Sunday is so significant and this is why Jesus is our Azazel and it's why I want to invite you to consider taking a step towards Jesus and get baptized. Because the work is finished, it is over, and the thing that God is waiting for is you to say yes. So say yes. Say yes to baptism by texting baptism to the number on the screen. Say yes to Jesus by surrendering your life to him, no longer living in fear and carrying around your sin, but recognizing that you have been forgiven and have been brought into the presence of God in this life and in the life to come. Friend, Jesus is our Azazel. Jesus has come to set us free. Jesus has forgiven us. May we walk hand in hand, step by step, with the king of the universe, with our Azazel, with Jesus, because he is Messiah. Let me pray for you. So God, it's in this moment that we ask you to reveal to us where we have dishonored you by dishonoring those around us. And may we have the forgiveness that's promised in Jesus 
And may we experience the freedom that is offered because of Jesus. May you carry our sin away and fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit, with courage and with strength. And may we be people who live in repentance because of Jesus and now for Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray all these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen. God bless you guys.
Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I want to ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I want to invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.